You're listening to the Crop Disease Podcast, a podcast that will keep you up to date on how to manage common crop diseases faced by Australian growers. The headers are rolling and the end of the season is upon us. But how did we go across Australia this year and what would we have done differently in hindsight? Listen in as we're about to go on a quick trip across three different grain growing regions. Hello, it's Megan Jones from the Centre for Crop and Disease Management, and I'm going to get a seasonal review from three advisors from New South Wales, South Australia and WA. Also with me on this journey is my co-host, CCDM Director Mark Gibbard. Hello, Mark. G'day, Megan. How are you going? It's great to be here today. Yeah, and it's great to have you back again. So how are things going with you? Anything new? Data, 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 Megan. It seems like everywhere I turn at the moment, it's all about data science and data analytics and experimental design and everything else. And of course, this comes back to GRDC's brand new initiative, which is the Aggie program, the Analytics for the Australian Grains Industry Program. A big investment that's um, sort of spearheaded around Curtin University here with CCDM, Adelaide University and the University of Queensland as the three strategic partners alongside GRDC, of course. And this program is designed to put together some of the most leading edge uh, experimental designs and data analysis techniques that have ever been used in the grains industry. So that's my focus at the moment, and it's been a a fantastic period of time. And gee, I'm looking forward to seeing some of that deployed over the next couple of years. That's brilliant. That's super exciting, isn't it? Um, So, okay. so as I mentioned before, I spoke to three agronomists from different regions of Australia. Normally it would be four, but unfortunately I couldn't get hold of Tessa Diamond as she is currently overseas as part of her Nuffield scholarship, lucky her. So a Queensland update is off the cards. However, we can still hear from updates from WA, South Australia and New South Wales. Sound good? Excellent, Megan. Let's go. Okay, so let's start west this time and come back east. So starting in WA and Esperance, where I have agronomist Monica Field from Farm in General, who covers the most southeast regions of the WA wheat belt. Monica, what are growers up to? Um, if they're not already starting harvest, they're furiously trying to get ready for harvest. Trying, there's still a lot waiting for headers and fronts and bits and bobs like that. A little bit of desiccation and swathing going on, but um, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of harvest going. And I think in the next week to ten days, there'll be a lot more um, get underway. So it's all happening. Is it looking like an above or below average season? It's a bit tricky. The Esperance region obviously is quite large. There probably will be a lot that is average and then some that is below average and some maybe slightly above average, but probably as a general whole area will be an average-ish year. Yeah, it's been a very interesting and different season this year. I was just talking with some of my colleagues this morning, like June for us uh, has probably saved the Mallee and also probably ruined some of the more high rainfall zones of part of Esperance because it's been where the bulk of the rain has fallen. So It's been a challenging year in that sense that we had no summer rain and then we had very poor um, early rain and then a good June and then not a lot after that. So thankful for that June rain because I think we really would have been in trouble without it. But, yeah, it's just been a little bit different, which is farming, I guess. It's different every year and that's what makes it exciting. That's why we're in the game, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it was all the same, it'd be easy, wouldn't it? Exactly. (laughs) And um, disease-wise, I'm guessing it was pretty um, low disease season this year? It was. It probably varied depending where you were. So the coastal strip still had quite high levels of powder and mildew in areas, but nothing out of control. The planet crops still had a fair bit of net-type net blotch. But as a general rule, um, most of the barleys in that medium to lower rainfall were disease levels were very low. 
Um, most of the wheats were very low as well. So, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of disease through some of the canolas in the high rainfall areas as well. But, yeah, it was very reduced from what we've had in the last couple of seasons. Uh, so in the last season like that, you did mention rust. there was a bit of rust around um, appearing in wheat around the Mallee region. Did that become more severe? It didn't really get too problematic. No, we kind of kept an eye on it and it didn't really um, go too crazy. So it wasn't a huge concern or as much of a concern as we first thought. Something to look out for for next season though? Or Yeah, definitely. We've obviously got some... Um, probably trying to get a little bit more diversity in wheat varieties. So there is some that we'll be using, say, something like Brumby that we might try and utilise that is a lot better for powdery mildew that is also a little bit more susceptible for leaf rust. So there's probably some varieties we'll just have to be a little bit cautious with that it probably hasn't been a concern with other varieties, but it might be um, with some of these newer ones. Absolutely, Monica. Now, moving to South Australia, I've got advisor Mick Faulkner from AgriLink Agricultural Consultants in Penwortham, who covers the mid-north of South Australia. How are growers going in your region, Mick? Well, we're very much getting to the end of the season, um, mainly in South Australia now, um, with the exception of a few spots, um, especially in the southeast. Uh, so we'd basically say, you know, we're, you know the early areas have got the headers rolling. Um and um, that'll just continue with the later areas starting. Probably, probably still ahead of schedule, um, but um, probably, and, and I guess most people are saying, you know, a month earlier than last year, but uh, probably two to three weeks earlier than normal. So, Mick, is it looking like an above or below average year? I think we're the beneficiaries of last season's, um, you know, very wet conditions, and those people who had soil types suitable. And that's showing out now, the ability to store water. We also had a reasonable, reasonably wet June um, and very little rainfall really from July onwards. Uh, so, so I would have to say that we're going to be probably um, around average. Some areas will be slightly above and some of the, uh, some of the latest known crops are, are probably struggling. So what about disease-wise? Do you think it was probably below average in diseases? I think we have to say for disease, one of the uh, one of the best fungicides that we have available. We don't like it very much, but the fungicide is dry weather, and um, and that's what we've had in in the spring. We've had um, such dry weather that uh, most fungal diseases um, have have really been suppressed by those conditions. Now, now that's a general comment. Of course, some areas, you know, definitely some spraying has been required. Yeah, actually, um, in the last seasonal update, you mentioned fungicide timing was critical at that point of time of the podcast. Did most yeah. growers need that in the end? Yeah, I, I think, well, fungicide timing has been critical for the year, but it's it's also not easy. And, and when we're you know, referring to particularly the canola and, and the pulses, that we know that you know, spring rainfall are the conditions that, that Botrytis loves and... You know, when you're trying to anticipate spring rainfall and it's not happening, it, it creates a, um, a it's a decision making process that's a lot harder. Um, so, and then of course, if we get a rainfall that comes out of the blue, then um, then all of a sudden people say, "Oh my God, what's that done?" So we would say that botrytis has been low incidence generally. But at the same time, there's just pockets where you know there's been there's been rainfall and then conditions, and maybe there was a reasonable amount of the canopy 
uh, prior to the old spring rainfall. Thanks, Mick. Now, moving east to New South Wales, I have agronomist Fred Broughton from Rural Management Strategies, who's based in Cootamundra and covers the southern regions of New South Wales. How growers are going in your region, Fred? At the moment, most growers are preparing to, to wingrow canola. Um, that'll be in the next week to 10 days. Most people get started with that. Um, and then, yeah, just the rest of their harvest logistics and um, equipment, um, yeah, just get sorted uh, for harvest now. Oh, sounds great. So is it looking like an above or below average season? At this stage, um, yeah, most growers will be pretty happy with a, an average result to the season. Um, yeah, things have, have dried off significantly since our last um, podcast. But, yeah, we've had rain, you know, in the last week or two, which has saved a lot of crops um, that were severely moisture stressed. So, yeah, most people win that, yeah, approximately average, but, yeah, slightly above or below depending on their particular circumstances. Yeah, for sure. So I'm guessing disease wasn't such an issue in the end? In the end, um, yeah, no, disease has been a, a minor issue, um, though the growers did, you know, control any diseases that did eventuate quite quickly and effectively. Um, moisture stress is going to be the biggest limitation to yield um, this season. Yeah, for sure. So in the last seasonal update, you mentioned aphids were something to keep an eye on. Did the situation get worse? Uh, no, thankfully. So um, that didn't eventuate um, to the degree that we were um, potentially expecting with you know, moisture stress crops. Um, however, there was yeah a few aphids about. Um, however, the main damage caused by the aphids were particularly in wheat uh, crops you know, spreading barley yellow dwarf virus. That was probably the the most um, impact that aphids had this year. But yeah, that has been minor, but on a quite a wide, um, wide scale. Yeah, absolutely, Fred. So Mark, what did you think about all that? It's been a pretty dry year overall, but one good thing about that, as Mick said, it allowed growers to use the best fungicide available, dry weather, which made me laugh a bit. So despite the dry weather, it's good to see it's more average than below average, don't you think? Well, Megan, that's just part of the irony of being uh, a scientist who works in pathology, and that is that you know the, the worst years for pathology are always often some of the best potential yielding years. And um, this year, unfortunately, it's been dry and it's sort of been a little bit of an abrupt end, for, for quite an abrupt end for many people. And we haven't got the yield potential that we wanted. But the pathologist in me says, hey, look, that's fantastic because there's less disease out there, there's less inoculum left on the stubble and that's going to set us up really beautifully for next year. And um, that's a carryover effect. It's, it's an effect that we've never really quantified in terms of value, but it's got to be large because it reduces the early season disease pressure that we'd see in the 2024 season. Um, and that's going to have a big impact. So hopefully next year with good rainfall, low disease pressure at the start of the year, we'll see some outcomes from the low disease pressure we've seen at the end of this year. Yeah, I hope so too. Sounds good. Okay, so we all know hindsight is a beautiful thing. So I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to ask our three agronomist advisors, what would they have done in hindsight now that the season is nearly over? You ready for that? Yeah, that sounds great. Great. So let's start again in WA with agronomist Monica Field. Monica, what would you have done differently in hindsight? Probably in some of those, as, as probably like planned for next year, we're going to look at a little bit more diversity and varieties for wheat in that high rainfall zone to try and um, get some better pattern mildew ratings. That's probably something we're going to plan on doing. Um, 
I guess some of the newer barleys have probably got a better resistance profile than some of the older ones. So we potentially could look at reducing our fungicide regimes down a little bit. Um, canola, I think probably we probably should have done more sclerotinia with some of the year that we had. We probably thought we wouldn't get responses, but there's been in some areas some quite high levels as we've got to desiccation timing. You can actually see that infection there. Um, the other one I probably have a bit of a question mark about what we keep doing is like upper canopy blackleg in some of the canolas, like where we can get responses. So that's probably something we might look at a little bit more. Yeah. So, and then going into next season, what will you recommend growers could do to minimize disease and maximize profitability? Um, I think we'll see a little bit of a change in the um, rotations a little bit more. We've had a big reduction in barley in the last couple of years, and I think we'll see that come in a little bit more. And that might be helpful in the sense that we won't have as many, as much pressure on canola in the rotation and as much pressure as, say, um, any wheat wheat paddocks. So, maybe a little bit more diversity in the rotation if possible. Um, we're definitely getting a lot more varieties that are a bit stronger for disease in terms of that's barley probably particularly. Wheats were still, I think, always going to struggle with powder mildew in the really high rainfall zone. So I think utilising potentially some different chemistry because there is some new chemistry in that space um, and also variety, I think, too, to work work with those areas that, that get powder and mildew in their wheat every year. This, you know, it's mostly that coastal sand plain part of Esperance that we deal with it quite regularly. Sounds good, Monica. Now, moving over to South Australia's mid-north region with Mick Faulkner. Mick, now that the season is practically over, is there something you would have done differently in hindsight? Wow, that's a hard question, Megan. <laughs> um, I suspect... Um, I'm not too sure that that I would have done much differently. Uh, I think the, the two fungicide strategy on wheat that a lot of farmers use, because they have um, eye spot and septoria occurring at the same time and um, just after year 30. So it's pretty hard to avoid that one. If you, you know, In hindsight, we may not have needed it, but you don't get a second chance with eye spot. So once the canopy is developed, it's impossible to get the fungicide down to the base of the plant where you need it for, um, for eye spot. So I don't think, even if eye spot hasn't um, produced any lodging, I don't think farmers would would take that risk of not applying um, that, that fungicide at that time. I guess there's a, the, looking in hindsight, I guess a lot of Farms are saying rather than just using a DMI, they might have used, used a strobilurin plus DMI mix first. Um, so it leaves their choices a little more open come uh, a GS39 spray. And, of course, in the in the early areas, a GS39 spray wasn't required anyway. And I don't think anyone would regret that, that decision. Okay. With the um, pulse uh, and uh, canola fungicides, I think we would say that we've probably anticipated applying for sclerotinia and um, upper canopy infection with blackleg. And we actually didn't um, really get the weather conditions for sclerotinia anyway around about flowering. We're on the cusp. And I think in hindsight, we would, a lot of people would say that maybe that application was unnecessary. And um, upper canopy blackleg infection really hasn't um, developed at all in the canopies that I've seen. So 
So spraying for that was probably um, unnecessary. It's pretty hard to make those decisions, though, when you're, you, know, you are at that 20% flowering and you're trying to look forward. And at, at that time, you know, no one anticipated, except you know, the Bureau's forecast was for dry conditions. But I guess you don't quite know what, uh, what a dry condition means. If we had 10 or 15 millimetres um, over a couple of days, then we would have had conducive conditions. So I think while, while we might say that the fungicide was not necessary, at the time it's pretty hard not to apply it. Yeah, so it was the right decision after all. That's what we're left with in a way is that a lot of people, they make, we all make different decisions. The decision at the time um, is usually the right decision. It just has an unintended outcome. So a lot of people might feel as though they excessive use of fungicides or in some cases underuse of fungicides. But if they had really um, gone through the process and, and um, made that decision, then I don't think many would regret it. Yeah, sounds good, Mick. So one more question. Um, going into next season, what will you recommend growers could do to minimise disease and maximise profitability? Going into next season, it'll be very, very much dependent on what happens over summer. Obviously, if we don't have um, a green bridge over summer, then that reduces the risk of carryover on green material, uh, especially of, of thrypus. So we may see a a slight reduction in the use of glutriphol uh, on fertiliser, which this is probably the highest use of that tactic that we've seen for a number of years, given the um, uh, the summer, summer carryover that we had. Yep. So I think we would probably see that reduced a little on cereals. Um, the, the amount of loose smut around on barley is probably a bit of a concern, so there'll be some emphasis on um, correct application of seed pressing um, and I think most people would say that they need um, at least one application of a fungicide during the growing season and in some areas two and in other areas maybe even three and knowing that the supply lines are still tight there will be you know that they will have to make a decision about how much of that that they have in their own inventory on farm as against being able to just go into their local merchandise store and buy it. For sure, Mick. Let's move further east of New South Wales with Fred Broughton. Fred, now that we're coming to an end, what would you have done differently if you had the chance? Growers went quite hard on, on disease management or fungicide use um, quite early in the, in the season. And I think with the way the season has panned out, that may not have been necessary. Um, however, I, I think a lot of growers were trying to um, avoid the, the situation last year where disease got out of hand and, um, you know, they actually lost control of the disease. So um, I think in hindsight we might have been able to go a little bit um, easier on that. But being in the same situation, again, I think I'd still um, be quite robust on those decisions just to, to keep the crops as clean as possible and, um, yeah, try and minimise any any damage or inoculum build-up going into that, yeah, critical period of, you know, stem elongation. So I don't think really would have done a lot different uh, differently. Um, there's a few a few growers put on late fungicides, which, yeah, they, they may have been able to, to avoid had they known how dry it was going to get. So going into next season, what will you recommend growers could do to minimise disease and maximise profitability? 
the major diseases uh, that we're currently seeing um, that may have an impact for following um, seasons is particularly uh, crown rot that um, seem to build up quite uh, uh, well in the, the wet season we've had and, and hasn't sort of shown itself. Um, but that's, yeah, definitely becoming more evident now as crops are drying down. So that, um, yeah, that disease pressure is going to be definitely there next year. And uh, also um, aphid control or early aphid control in cereals, just just to be aware of, you know, that there is um, a lot of virus um, in the environment and then, you know, any aphids that are about, you know, potentially likely to have the ability to, to vector that, uh, that virus. So just need to be mindful of that. Yeah, so, so moisture is, is key in our systems, dryland um, cropping systems. So, yeah, just um, managing um, nutrition and, and um, weeds over summer, you know, that's probably the still the, the biggest tool that um, growers can use to, to increase their profitability and maximise yield going forward. Yeah, absolutely, Fred. Well, there you have it, Mark. I'm hearing there will be a lot more diversity in varieties going into next year, particularly when rotations between crop types are tight. Also, managing the green bridge to keep disease carryover as low as possible. They're all good strategies, right? Uh, Megan, anything we can do to extend a crop rotation is fantastic and we recognise that that sometimes that's just not possible, that sometimes the um, the same crop on the same crop is, is the most profitable variety. Profitable rotation, sorry. But when you've had um, you know a year like this and you're really wanting to try and maximise your returns for next year, you've got to go for the best economic option. So what we do want, of course, is we want people to select the, the most resistant varieties of the crop type that they're going to grow. Um, and that's really important. That keeps the disease pressure as low as possible. We know we're coming in with low inoculum. We know we're starting to see a few new varieties appear, uh, some new, new barley varieties, for example, with some really good resistance to net blotch. But don't forget that those varieties need to be supported. Um, just because a variety has a pretty good disease rating doesn't mean that it's, there's nothing out there really that's immune to disease. We still need to make sure that the right fungicides are used at the right time to keep that disease pressure as low as possible. And again, that, that might sound a little bit of a counter-argument, but even with good varieties, we want really good disease control, and it's all about keeping the inoculum as low as we can, the total population of the pathogen as low as we can. That limits the chance to develop more mutations that lead to the sort of uh, selection process that we see for fungicide resistance. Yeah, a great message there, Mark, and a great message to end off on, I think. But actually, I've got one more question before you go. We've also got the Crop Protection Forum coming up on the 6th of December in Adelaide, and I know you are featuring on the program. So what will you be presenting on? Megan, I love the Crop Protection Forums because it brings a whole group of people together who are studying different things but across different systems. So it's great to get together with the guys from ARI and CESAR and talk about herbicide resistance and what's happening in the insect world as well. So it's always a really good time and I'm looking forward to this year. This year I'm going to be doing something a little bit new. I'm going to be going back to my original comment about data. I've got a new tool that I want to release early next year, and this tool is um, designed to be able to enable agronomists and growers and, and anybody else to be able to access the spatially distributed data on fungicide resistance. And um, this is a tool that we're developing with CCDM's uh, group on fungicide resistance here with Fran Lopez and his team, but also with the Aggie um, data scientists. So 
we'll be looking to release early next year um, a program that allows us to access um, through Google Earth uh, maps that show the distribution of fungicide resistance across the country and even to be able to enter your location and get an estimate of um, what's the likelihood of seeing fungicide resistance in your neighbourhood. Now, clearly this data is averaged across the landscape. You don't see anyone's personal information or anything like that. But that kind of information is going to be really good because it's going to help to guide you more generally on some of the decisions that you might make. And some of those decisions might lead to more resistance testing, for example, or the selection of better varieties or a change in your fungicide program, um, preferably all of those things. So that that's going to be new. And I hope to present on that just as a prototype in December with the aim to having that ready for release um, early, very early next year in time for the 2020 season. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. That's definitely something not to be missed. Um, I'm going to uh, leave some information on the podcast description on how you can get a ticket to the Crop Protection Forum so that you can hear from Mark and about this really cool new tool that's about to come out. So, well, that's the end of the seasonal updates for 2023. Thanks so much for coming with me on this journey across the four regions, Mark. It's been great. Thanks, Megan. It's been awesome. Yeah, it has been awesome. And thanks everyone out there for listening and please keep an eye out for our next episode which will be on a review of fungicide resistance see you then this podcast is brought to you by the center for crop and disease management a national center co-supported by curtin university and the brains research and development corporation 